Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I want to start a new series, and this came out of of prayer and everything, and actually uh, the Lord's been reminding me of a lot of things, and it it happened because of the results of finding an old book that a friend of mine, another pastor, gave me years ago, Um, and I think it was because of us, you know, re-engaging with youth ministry and stuff. Um, But this book was given to me, and it's called 20 Things I Want My Kids to Know. It's not a very popular book. It never sold thousands of copies. It's by a guy named Hal Urban. I don't even know who he is, or, but he existed, and he wrote it down in a book, and that, this person, who was another guy from Iowa, gave me the book, and I didn't agree with all of it. But the book triggered me, uh, in me as a teacher, and again, it triggered me again. Like, just seeing the title of it, I went... What do I want to pass on? What do I want to leave behind? And then it brought up, so I'm probably going to mix a little stories in with this, but I'd like to leave you through this summer uh, with some practical things. Um, Are all of you familiar with the book of Proverbs? At least somewhat, you read them occasionally. That's what Solomon was doing. They are attributed to him and they have all sorts of little pithy sayings that mean way more than just the the little saying does. It's the lifetime of learning. It's what he wanted everybody who knew him to get and to get from God, but also to get from him. He was passing on his life lessons um, and... uh, and it has lots of, uh, if you know, those proverbs aren't just speaking in a proverb, which is an old saying, but they also are generating wisdom issues of life. How you navigate this and, um, and, and what happens in life. And if you see these patterns, he was really good at identifying patterns. Now, not equations. Patterns are different than equations. Uh, and, and it's an incredible book. And so I want to do some of that this morning because this is a, a significant time for me in that um, the Lord reminded me, even as we sang those songs, it was just so incredible for me. So 20 years ago, around this time, I was getting ready to turn 50, which was a significant age of promise to me from God from when I was in my 30s. And God engaged me on a, on a journey over uh, how I lived my life and my pursuit of him and, God, you know, everything, study and all that. And he gave me some challenges, and one of them was about my mouth, my tongue, and about, um, and I, I was 35 years old, and um, I had resigned my vocation and entered into, I agreed to enter into full-time ministry as a vocation. And so it was a big step for me because it meant a, a round 
we, we took about a two-thirds cut in salary. So it was, all, it was very sacrificial at the time in my life. I look back now and I go, no sacrifice at all because God so took care of me. But at the time when you do it, to take a two-thirds cut in your annual salary and you, you have uh, two little ones, and you just, it was a big gulp for me. And it was, uh, for me, it was an important position. So it was, it, it was doing all that. I look back now and I go, why did I even think that was a big thing? It was nothing. And I think Paul went through some of that. And why he said, I count all the things from the past as rubbish to the, to the excellency of the knowledge of God. So he's able to do that. And so one of that promise for when I was turned 50 that if I would engage him on some certain things and take to heart's life lessons about that, at 50 he would give me something to say. Now I don't recommend this, and I'm, it's not a spiritual principle that if you do it, you'll, you'll have the same results. It was something very personal between he and I that he invited me to, and it was very devastating because at 35 you feel pretty much there. If you're around 35, you sort of feel adult. You're starting to adult. And, uh, and so to have a promise that if I would engage him on things that at 50 I would have something to say seemed like an eternity. I mean, it just, it was like, wait, that's 15 years. I got to wait 15 years to say something? Well, it wasn't that. I was misapplying it. But what he meant was he would build life lessons into my heart that when I was 50 and started saying them, that there would be an audience to hear it. There would be others that needed to hear it. Didn't mean that I couldn't say anything before that. At first, I thought that's what it meant. Okay, shut up, kid. You know nothing. That isn't what he was saying. What he was saying is as you begin to learn life lessons... So that's what I've titled this, Life Lessons. And engage with me when you turn. And sure enough, things came to pass. So 20 years ago, around this time, um, I had several things open up. I'd been traveling quite a bit prior to that, but I had a time of which I was going to go for a a protracted period of time overseas. And so I was going to be on different continents and... I was going to be away from my family for uh, over three weeks, and that just seemed like a, uh, how do I do this? And I had a lot of, I mean, it was a busy schedule. It was going from one country to another and one conference to another. And then I also had a, a funny sneaking thing. I was going to turn 50 before I left. I was going to turn 50 in June of that year, and that was 20 years ago now. And, uh, and people who cared a lot for me had a huge blowout birthday party for me. And I was given a, an incredible gift of a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Um, they all got donations and got together and did that. And it was a fun, though I sort of felt like I was at a funeral because so many people said nice things about me. You know, I didn't have to pay them or anything. And... Uh, and it was it was wonderful, and it was very honoring. I felt overwhelmed emotionally, and at the same time, at the church that I was at for the first time in having I'd been at that church since uh, 
1989, and I had taught before, but I had never been given all the services for a weekend. And without them knowing any of this stuff of what the Lord had said to me, I got invited to take the weekend, probably because there wasn't anybody else around to do it, but <laughs> I got invited to take all the services, and so I, it was very, it was a, they wouldn't have known it, but it was a very significant promise of God into my life that took 15 years to manifest, and there was, so I had all these things happening, this was 20, 20 years ago, and uh, do you want to know what I preached that Sunday? A couple of you were there, actually. Jesus loves me, this I know. After 15 years of engaging with God and that he would give me something to say, that's what I wanted to say. That's what he had me say. Jesus loves me, this I know. And about the security of God's love. I think I've been trying to preach that in one form or another probably since I was 35, but to have it happen at that time and then went on this journey. So one of the first places I went to was South Africa and, uh, and was doing a couple of conferences there. And I, I can remember being so stunned by the whole thing because I was like, God, what are you doing? What's next? I'm 50, you know? When you're 50, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of life ahead of you. You kind of like, oh, this is like the downward slope, huh? And it's going to get well. You do have a whole lot of life ahead of you, um, but it was one of those where I was engaging God, and I go and I'm, I'm, uh, I first went to Johannesburg, and then uh, and was there, and then was in Cape Town. And while I was in Cape Town, the people I was staying with was in a. Uh, a a gated community, but they were all gated at that time because of the of the tension that was in that country. And uh, I was in a bedroom, and um, and not trying to set up the wrong image or anything, but I was just so grateful because I'd received the birthday party. It, everything had happened, and my prayers changed, and I uh, I taken a shower and I got out of the shower and I just stood there and I could feel the Holy Spirit coming over me in waves and I wasn't afraid and I said would you look right at me and I just started singing it I said would you come here would you look right would you put your eyes right on me would you just look at me and I could I could just feel that that occurring now I didn't see anything you know I didn't see anything supernatural or anything but I had such a deep sense of the pleasure of God that he was looking at me and that he was well pleased with me and it was it was the most profound of all the profound things that were happening that summer and it was just it was it was stunning to me and there was such fruitfulness that came at that moment in time why are you sharing all this life lessons there are moments of time where you happen where you can feel absolutely fruitless or have something taken from you or have an agreement that you're going to lay something aside you can do all sorts of things and then there's a moment of time when God just looks right at you and he's so pleased with you he just looks down 
And, and he wants that to occur in all of our lives because it has to do with our identity. One of the biggest life lessons we'll ever learn is about our identity. It's the one thing that racks all of us because we base so much of it on the things that happen and don't happen. You know, and I, uh, I hadn't ridden a motorcycle until I got that motorcycle that year. For I mean, I borrowed friends, but I hadn't had one for a number of years. And didn't ever think that I would get that again. You know, I was really good at sacrificing. Have you ever been that way? Any of you? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about. I gave up, I gave up over and over and over again because that's what I sort of thought you did to negotiate with God. If I give this up, then something else is going to happen. So um, uh, I never, like, I wasn't, like, evil with it. It's just the, what I thought that's what you did. You made an agreement with God. If I do these three things, then God will do da-da-da-da-da. Well, here's what will really happen. God's going to come and look right at you because he's so pleased with you. And, you have to, you know, is this biblical? Yes. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and goes to the River Jordan. Submits to his cousin, who's really weird, and has a really weird reputation, and is violating everything that the people of Judaism knew to do at that point in time. And he submits himself to him and gets baptized in water. And he comes up out of the water and a voice from heaven breaks through the clouds, saying... Good. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says. Jesus had done no earthly ministry. He had been hidden for years. He knew how to make wooden stuff. It didn't look like it had anything to do with his calling. Didn't do, look like it had anything to do with his purpose in life. Apparently his stepfather died he didn't have a dad around, but he did. And in that moment of time, when there was nothing, a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We all, all of us, we all derive our identity from a voice outside of ourselves. All of us do. For you teenagers that are going to gather Wednesday night, during those years, you're really trying to find out what that identity is, but it actually goes way further back than that. But our identity is so wrapped up into everything about life, what we do, what we don't do, where we go, how we go there, uh, who we attach to as friends, who we marry. You know, and some people, you know, I don't think too many guys do, but I've heard of lots of women saying, I prayed from the time I was six years old for my husband. And I'm going, you're going to get a good one. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of praying. And I never felt that way. I didn't think any girl was going to like me at six years old, nor not too many when I was 14. Yeah, maybe Mickey Morgan. She was. Oh, Mickey Morgan. Oh, Pigtails, 
cute as a button, running across the schoolyard. I hope she married a good man, because God's had somebody better than her for me. As Christians, our identities have to have this. This is a life lesson. Our identity has to have its foundation in something. Most people just say God, but it's, it's even bigger than that. It's in the word. Our identity is found in the word of God, even in the written word of God, because that's the reflection of the living word of God. The Bible is about Jesus, and it's about you and I, and how we relate to him. But without, if you'll notice today about identity, what do you identify as, if that's not done biblically, it gets pretty wonky pretty quick. It get, it, because it, the, the Bible is, is based on moral truth. And true truth, not truth that changes, not relative truth, but a constant, this is true. And so our identities of how, even you can be, listen, I, you can be turned, getting ready to turn 70 and still go through issues over this. They creep up, they, they uh, get in your thoughts about what you're doing, how you're doing it. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing right now? And we mix up our identity with God's will. And sometimes it becomes, I'm going to use a real biblical term here. It becomes confusing gobbledygook. And you start going, what, what? And that's when you go back to your foundations of what the word of God says in the truth. Um, The struggle in our lives as human beings is complex and it has its root in in this question all of us for all of us for you right now today with whatever you're doing with work or with however you're living your life we can still get affected by it why am i here what what am i doing here why am i doing this why am I going to New Day? Why do I come listen to him every Sunday? Why, what am I doing with my kid? Why is this going this way? And you start asking yourself a lot of different questions. Social science tries to answer that uh, question, if you will, to, with one word. And they talk about the word significance, that your life is going to count. And say so they do actually do lots of studies on this. If you've studied any sort of leadership training or anything like that, it all has to do with how you become a significant influence in the lives of others. And all of us want that. I want my life to count. Still, right now, getting ready to turn 70, I still want it to count. I am usually, and you can ask Brenda because this is a true statement, I'm usually blown away that people will still come and listen to anything I have to say. Not out of some sense of false humility, um, but that that sense of support and that my life is being meaningful in, in the lives of other people and how that counts. 
20 years ago. This was stunning in that trip to Cape Town. So they didn't have the difference between separation of church and state. So I actually was sent to do ministry at a public school. Right? Now, at that point in time, I had hair right about there. And had pierced both ears and had three earrings in my face. Didn't have any nose or other hardware. But you see, at that point in time, I would have put on a clown suit to reach in and touch young people. And I wanted to be cool. Maybe that was first. I probably wanted to be cool and then also have this significance thing. So they looked at me and they let me do it anyway. So I went into a public school, very conservative, very rigid and everything. And I got to share. Here's who they let me share with. Middle school kids. Now I thought I was going over there to preach up a storm among the you know, adults and bring revival to South Africa. I said, you have, you have a calling on your life. You have a significance impact to make. And without knowing that that's what was going to happen, he gave me to junior high kids. That's not demeaning or belittling. It's very high in God's economy. I was beginning to understand at 50. Here's a 50-year-old man and I'm supposed to get 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds to listen to me, right? So I got there, and I shared some of my teenage story with them. Just my life and how God had rescued me. What he had done to a kid who felt like he could have no significance ever. And I talked to them about this. And at the end of the service, for the first time in my life, I actually did an altar call. And 23 boys and girls gave their lives to the Lord. And I was blown away. How could I not get out of the shower and sing, look right at me? Best part of it was... Right after I got done, we did the prayer, and then I prayed with each one of them. The last one I prayed with, he, he didn't speak English. You know, you know, I had to have it translated to, into Afrikaans. And uh, he came up to me, and he kept going like this and pointing up. And I was like, he said, no. He pointed at my chest, and he went, and I went, none. And then he went like this and pulled on his ear. I went, oh, my earrings, you know, we're, we're communicating now, right? And he winked at me and opened up his pocket, and he had two earrings in his pocket. He couldn't wear them at school. That did more for the idea of significance and identity. And you see, he was identifying with me, and it brought him to a point of salvation. Getting this issue of identity settled in our hearts, it's not age-related. You need it when you're four. You need it when you're eight. You need it when you're 12. You need it when you're 16. You need it when you're 24. You just keep needing it your whole life. 
You need to get this thing. And you'll continue to grow and develop with that and the idea. And it's a life lesson issue. So I want to make a bold statement today. And I'm not trying to be a mocker or anything like that. I identify as a Christian. It's who I am. Jesus is inside of me. That's who I identify with. He is my identification. He is my Lord, my Savior, my God. And we, t- and we, you know, for those kids making that decision, it was a huge life-changing decision because their nation was going through such, they were right at the end of apartheid and they, they just released Nelson Mandela. They're going through huge societal change. And here these kids, junior high kids, were making a decision. So the next place I went, guess what I was teaching on? Identity, self-worth, what God does in our lives, where we arrive our identity. The biblical base for that search, every person, I knew I wouldn't get very far. I got down two paragraphs in my notes, so, uh, but I knew that was going to happen. Every person that's ever lived has wrestled with the idea of significance and identity. Every person. And the understanding that, that we were put here to pass something on. Uh, as, a, as a literature major, one of the greatest stories, all the stories that I loved in all of literature, uh, they, they reflected in, in two kinds. Uh, one is called Bildungsroman, so you get a little education. It means the coming-of-age stories. Those are actually called, there's a literary term that goes with that. And then there's one um, that's those who went before. It's the idea of your identity and who you're attached to. Some of you, uh, and you can, you can get really weird with it or bizarre with it, but you want to know who... My great grandfather, like who was he? What are the stories? And as you get older, you keep you keep attaching to those, and and it builds in an identity in our in our life. And those were the when I read literature, those were the two stories that just gripped my heart because I only knew one grandparent. You know, I I only knew my grandmother on my father's side, and the rest were all dead when I from the time I was little. So I had that deep yearning. But then I realized that's all of our deep yearnings. So I want to, say, to explore the lessons of that. First of all, to go to the Bible, and you can look at it this week, because there's something that we have to get settled in our hearts, in order, especially today. So I think this is more apropos today than it ever has been. Um, you have to know what it means that you're made in the image of God. It has to be settled deep in your heart. And what it really means. Image of God, does that mean I'm God? Well, I'd like to think so sometimes, but uh, especially when I'm ready to zap somebody. Uh, But it's not. 
So this is a deep. So if you get a chance this week, just go back to Genesis. Everything has a beginning. Genesis is the beginning of things. Everything has a beginning. Who you are started in Adam and Eve. Whether you believe the story literally or not doesn't make a difference. It still starts with them. It doesn't start with prehistoric cavemen. Well, how does all that work? I don't know, but it starts in the beginning was a void. And God hovered over the void. And he spoke this into being. If we can't hang on to that, we can't hang on to who we are and what our significance is here. Because that's really, God doesn't create junk and he doesn't make something for nothing. Everything, when you go back to Genesis, take your Bible and reread it, but ask God, open it back up to your heart and say, show me what's here for me. And just see what happens in your own heart. Again this week, just see, Lord, speak to me about who I am. Verse 27, it says that they were, that Adam and Eve were created in his image. We'll exp- begin to explore next week what that, what that really means. And I think it'll be helpful for all of us because I want us to get the, the true foundations are trying to be stolen out of our t- society today. They're trying to steal it all away. And I think it's good for all of us, whether we're seven or 70, to re-understand what means this. So that we can, without reservation, stand, if you will, I'm not trying to be gross here, naked before the Lord, nothing between us, and saying, come here and look right at me. Without reservation, without fear, without hopelessness, without concern, without, oh, what's going to happen when? What's going to, how are they going to, and all those darn Republicans and those darn Democrats and everything. Standing before who God is and let Him re hover over the void of your misunderstanding. And let him speak back into you. Because this is what I know after this many years, and I'll close with this. Everything has a purpose. And that's that's why I started with Solomon. Everything has a purpose. You are here for something. That's pretty doggone important. You are here for with a purpose. I don't know if it'll be 23 little boys in another country or whether it is somebody in a nursing home that you go and pat their hand and you're there with their crossing over. Or it's our kids on Wednesday night trying to get back together. And find out who they like and don't like and what they like and don't like. And it's all part of it. Let's pray. 
Jesus, help us navigate life lessons through the gospel of your grace. With each of us having an ego, with each of us having a purpose, with each of us having longings in our hearts, come and look right at us. And I ask that the security of who you are would begin to infiltrate every heart that's in here. And that where the enemy seems to try and sow doubt and confusion, that you would sow back into our hearts the security that we belong to you, that you're in us, that you're for us, you're not against us, and we have something to do here. So do that in us. We just give you permission, even this week. I pray this dangerous prayer that I've prayed so many times for people. Interrupt their life this week, God. Send somebody to them that they need to answer to or listen to or interact with. That you would just set up divine appointments this week that would bless their socks off. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.